This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start so let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. I am coming to you with four guys who probably, um, when it comes to shooting a recurve, probably uh, I have more knowledge on this podcast than than maybe I'll ever have again. So uh, I'm excited to uh, to just have fun telling stories with these guys, and uh, and I'm going to go around and, and let each one of them introduce themselves and uh, and where they're coming to us from. Uh, start with you, Jim. Okay, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Jim Willems. Uh, I live in Farmington, New Mexico. I, I grew up in Kansas, and uh, still have a place in Kansas. So I, I kind of bounce back and forth between the two. So. That allows me to hunt whitetails in Kansas and Nebraska in late fall, and then I try to hunt Colorado, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming, all that stuff uh, in the early fall. Now, Jim is the uh, the past president of Pope and Young. Uh, he's been on the show several times, so he's a pretty familiar voice, a good friend of mine. Uh, I, I like it when he's down in Kansas because he's the he's the guy that. Uh, that watches me shoot my recurve and tells me how bad I am at it. So, um, corrects me on all the things I'm doing wrong. Uh, how about you, Clay? Uh, Clay Hayes, uh, live most of the time up in North Idaho. I'm sitting down in Florida right now. I grew up down here and for the past couple of years, been coming down here in the winter hunting hogs and fishing and all that good stuff. Um, mainly just, uh, produce a lot of traditional archery slash bow hunting content for YouTube. And you do a lot of stuff uh, with our friends over at Three Rivers, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those guys uh, have been helping support uh, my videos for quite some time. I think just about everybody here is uh, is friends with, with the guys over at Three Rivers, and, and that just speaks to, uh, to them as a company. Those guys are absolutely fantastic. Um, so go check out Three Rivers Archery. Uh, Aaron, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh I'm in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, at the uh, Kafaro World Headquarters, hiding out in my podcast room. So I, I appreciate <laughs> you guys work. That's the best place to be, man. Tucked away where nobody can find you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like a mushroom in the closet. That's uh, <laughs> hidden. 
And then we've got Mr. Eichler himself. Fred, where are you at, man? I'm in southern Colorado, and uh, we are uh, just got over mountain lion season, tapering off with the goose, and then uh, looking forward to gutting turkey hunters here soon. Now, you you uh, you shot some geese this morning, did you not? Yes, yes, I did. Went out and had a good time, popped a couple of geese. Well, the boys were checking calves, so we're starting to drop calves on the ground, so pretty much everybody's working hard but me. <laughs> now, did you shoot any of the geese with your recurve this morning? No, no, I didn't take it. I should have, but uh, I went with the uh, went with the boomstick this morning. Thought that would be a little easier. So, here's what I want to do for 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 the first portion. Twenty twenty, uh, obviously a rough year for everybody. Um, did did COVID screw up a lot of you guys' hunting plans? Um, what was your highlight for the twenty twenty season? Um, highlight hunt, highlight of the year, whatever it may be. Um, How'd your 2020 seasons go? Who do you want to go first? Uh, you can go first since you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Keep us from walking all over each other. Um, my my uh, my 2020 went r- really well. It was it was a uh, very unique because of COVID. I I uh, lost two three bear hunts. I didn't get to go on a moose hunt. Two mule deer hunts. A doll sheep hunt. Moose and whitetail. Um, I canceled because of COVID. I couldn't couldn't cross the border, but I I supplemented that as fast as I could with a lot of um, hunts for for whitetail in in uh, October no, November time frame in uh, Oklahoma and Texas, as well as uh, I guide owl dad and mule deer hunters and filled that in uh, as well. So it, it was it was a great season. I was able to you know I was out quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I shot several animals, lots of adventures. I can't really complain for for what the kind of the big bowl of crap we've all got handed with covid i I certainly am not gonna gonna complain about it it was pretty amazing season that's awesome man um fred how about you i'm i'm same i can't complain great season had a lot of fun and got to hunt with family a bunch Uh, did a hunt in kodiak in november which was a lot of fun with the family just uh decoying in some uh, sick of black tail deer and that was a good time so yeah i can't complain man had a blast and Put some animals in the freezer. Clay? Well, my I didn't really have a 2020 season. Um, that's the first uh, first elk, deer, everything. I missed everything this year. Um, was uh, knee-deep working on a big project I can't really talk about right now. But um, Aha, I know what that is. <laughs> keep, you, keep your mouth shut. But... Um, <laughs> Now there's uh, there there there'll be some uh, some info coming out later on this summer about what I was up to, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was interesting. Well, sounds like something that uh, sounds like something we're gonna have to have you back on to talk about again. Uh, is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, we could we could probably work something out. It also <laughs> sounds like a rough project if it kept you from hunting, though. It was uh, yeah, you could call it rough. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, how about you, man? I know you laid a few awesome uh, whitetails down. Um, how else did your season go? Uh, you know, it, it it was a lot of hit and miss. And uh, just thinking back, I, I think uh, COVID probably um, increased my hunting opportunities. Um, I, I was fortunate I didn't have any guided hunts up in Canada, uh, no guided hunts planned for the year. 
So none of that got canceled. Um, but, but what did get canceled is, is some of the shows and some of the meetings that I might have to go to. And since there wasn't so much going on, almost every time I went hunting, I was able to hunt longer um, and uh, spend more time there. So, so yeah, I, I, I had a great time. I, I, I was able to hunt Oryx in New Mexico twice, um, Sitka Blacktail, uh, mule deer, elk, white-tailed deer a couple of times, and and then uh, you know hunted with my daughter a little bit. She had a rifle hunt, and then just got back from Sonora on a coos deer hunt. So a pretty pretty average, uh, pretty good year for me. Now your uh, your Kansas whitetail hunt uh, kind of unfolded into being a uh, a pretty long hunt, but you ended up getting it done. Uh, yeah, actually, my Kansas hunt wasn't that long. I ended up killing my Kansas buck on November 6th, I think, which was about two and a half weeks into the hunt. Uh, but then I also have property up in Nebraska, about 100 miles away from, from our place in Kansas. So I was able to hunt Nebraska quite a bit. You you can get two buck, uh, two buck tags up there for archery hunt. And I shot one buck and, and never actually bought the second tag. I didn't, I didn't want to get too greedy, but but I ended up hunting whitetails for six weeks, which is uh, which is a pretty good thing. Now, for the rest of you, um, what would you say? What would you say your highlight hunt for twenty twenty was? Uh, go ahead, Aaron. Uh, that man, that's a tough one. I had a lot of kind of goals I had set um, early, and one of them, uh, uh, an antelope spot and stock with my with well, honestly, shooting an antelope in general with the recurve. You know, I've only been. <laughs> years and i actually ended up hooking up with danny ferris with ultimate predator gear uh decoy and we first time out spot and stocked i got 40 yards from an antelope a, a really good antelope so i would say um that was definitely one of the highlights and then um i ended up doing uh in the davis mountains um i i got to hunt a lot so i'm, I'm trying to do the quick overview in the davis mountains i i made a crazy stock on a 30 33 and a half on one side, 34 and a half on the other. Our dad that was 13 years old and in the Davis mountains, it's crazy terrain and super aggressive. And, and I was able to shoot it at 10 yards on the stock. So those two were probably the, the coolest and two things that I was really focusing on. Uh, so I'd say those two were probably the top. Nice, man. Now, Clay, did you, uh, I know you said you had a rough season, you know, kind of touch and go. Um, did you have a big highlight hunt for 2020? Yeah, we, you know, I did, uh, I did all the, the normal hog hunting, uh, right after the first of the year. And, you know, when you said your highlight hunt, the, the one thing, and I think if I had had a stellar, you know, elk season or something like this in the fall, I think this would still be my highlight. But, um, last, I think it was March, February, March, something like that, um, I took my youngest boy, Finn, who was seven at the time, down to South Florida uh, to meet up with some other fellas to do some hog hunting down there. And um, I had shot a hog the day before, and so I was just, this particular day, I was just carrying my video camera. And uh, we got into a little bunch of pigs, and I turned, so I always carry uh, Finn, just one single broadhead arrow. And I was carrying it with me. And so when we got into this little bunch of pigs, I gave him his arrow and I turned my attention to the other fellow that I was filming. And we went off and, and chased these pigs. Well, it wasn't three, four minutes later, Finn comes running back up and said, I shot one, I shot one. And I was, I looked at him and was like, really? Like, 
you shot a pig? And he said, yeah, I shot one. I said, all right. Well, he, he was kind of trailing behind another fella. And I went over and asked him, I was like, did he really shoot a pig? And he said, yeah. And it was, you know, it was a fair sized hog. And so we found the blood trail and, uh, start off after this thing. And about a hundred yards later, there's a 90 pound hog laying there that he had killed with a 20 pound self bow. And that's one arrow. Awesome. <laughs> it that's was awesome. awesome. It was, that's I mean, incredible. It, it was, it was unbelievable. Fred, what about you? Man, probably the hunts I did with the family, uh, <clears throat> Uh, my dad, 74, he was a Green Beret when he was younger, and he still guides elk hunters with me. And he, uh, me, him, and the boys went out and got to do some hunting together. So those were the real special ones for me. Uh, but then, you know, one funny one was, uh, you know, I shot a cow elk, which is my normal. I mean, I'm pretty much first up, first down. And uh, my camera, my cameraman that was sitting in the blind with me, or actually we were in a ladder stand, but these elk are kind of working our way. I said, the lead cow, and he goes, you see the bull right behind her, right? I said, yep, the one that steps in range, I'm going to shoot, and she came by, and that was a pretty cool one for me, you know, a lot of a lot of meat in the freezer, and we got a big laugh out of that, because I shoot her, and he starts bugling and running around, so, you know, just probably the ones with the, you know, with the family, and I'm sure like all these guys, you know, and I love hearing about the family hunts and the kids going out, but, you know, I think COVID allowed a lot of people to you know, spend more time at home and, and with family. And, and so for me, that was the really fun part was, you know, hunting with dad and hunting with the boys and Michelle and, you know, just getting to hang out, do more, more hunts like that. That is awesome. Yeah. And I, I love watching, um, I love watching your hunts unfold with your boys and, uh, always a, a cool thing to see and a special thing to watch. Um, so gentlemen, I want to work through kind of, um, your switch to shooting a recurve and uh and and that process i know i know that uh you know i I don't know that each of you had a a defining moment of i'm going to shoot a recurve um but what did your journey look like into shooting a recurve and uh you know maybe you started with a recurve and that's just all you know or or maybe you, you made a conscious switch from from compound to recurve but uh you know what does that journey look like for each of you and uh what struggles did you face along the way and I'll start with Clay this time. All right. Well, I guess I had always, I'd always been attracted to to traditional archery, and and actually when when I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, nine or ten or eleven. My brother uh, gave me a little Ben Pearson recurve, and I shot that. Uh, but when I got enough, when I got old enough to deer hunt, I uh, I went and got a compound because, I mean, this was mid nineties. I mean, there wasn't you didn't have all the information that you have available today. There was no YouTube or, and Google and all that stuff. And so the only thing I ever knew was what people did around me. And so when I started thinking about deer hunting, you know, I didn't even know that you could kill a deer with a recurve. I didn't know anybody that did it. Um, everybody I knew, you know, hunted with compounds. And so I went and got a compound and, uh, and hunted with that for a couple of years and killed a few deer with it, but I still, you know, always was kind of looking for something else. You know, I was looking for my, my way back into traditional archery. And, uh, I eventually found a book that, uh, that detailed how to build bows and arrows, uh, how to build wood bows. I've got that book when I was 
probably 18 or 19 and uh, started building bows. And then just a year or so later, started hunting with those bows. Um, and I mean, once I started hunting with the bows that I was making, I'd, I'd sold the compound and I've been shooting traditional ever since, you know, I think 99 was my first uh, first season hunting with a with a self bow. So that's kind of how I got into it. Nice. Now, Aaron, what about you? Because I know, you know, I know for you, you were probably kind of the most, what sort I want to use here, public switch to a recurve, um, if that if that makes sense. Um, so walk me through your process. Do you, um, you want me to give the, uh, the filtered version or the actual real live truth version? Um, whichever one you prefer. I want to I hear the real one. <laughs> Fred, yeah, wants to hear the, Fred wants to hear the real one, and you don't tell Fred Eichler no. So you give us the real one. Um, okay, so uh, anybody that's listened to this that's followed along, I, I shot a compound for forever and actually made fun of the current me's right now shooting a, a stick, and I, I shot animals extreme distances at, at times with the, the compound. I never looked at it like, oh, uh, I'm using technology to, uh, uh, you know, it's a handicap, right? I'm using technology to make up for my, my hunting skills. I just, whatever, went out and gripped it and ripped it. And Well, I did a podcast at one point on ethical shooting distances and, uh, you know, mathematics, right? Uh, arrow speed, uh, how fast an arrow gets out of a 290 foot per second bow and 175 feet. Anyway, after that podcast got done, to my surprise, I had a lot of hate mail from traditional archers basically saying I sucked, um, learn to hunt, go pick up a stick bow, you'll never kill anything. Uh, I saved some of those that I should send you. Clay, you may have been a guy that sent one. No, I'm just kidding. You didn't send any. <laughs> he did, but he used a different name. Yeah. <laughs> And and actually, Clay and I had some some arguments, which I would say I I, I have uh, uh, admittedly eaten crow on a few different things that I'm sure I'll go over in this podcast. Just my mindset, right? So I sold everything I owned, compound like this is I get tunnel vision, and we're not talking like I had uh, one bow. I probably had twenty dozen arrows, bow presses, arrow saw. I kept the arrow saw, um, you know, sights, releases, thousands and thousands. Yeah. Sold it all. And walked down to Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear and Tom, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I sent a text out, actually, and he was excited. And I'm like, I got this. can't be that hard. And uh, it's been interesting since then. So I, you know, I picked up the, the bow, um, shot several different ones. I actually kind of followed Fred's footsteps at first and shot uh, a Palmer uh, made by a guy named Mike and shot that for a while. And... Uh, and 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 I guess the rest is history. I, I committed it, committed it at a level that's psychotic, probably. Um, I know that when I when I when I made that switch, um, it was one of those things where I was, you know, truly like, I, you know, I'm going to make this work one way or another, just to prove a point. And then I ended up becoming extremely addicted to it, and now my badge of honor is shooting something under 10 feet rather than a hundred and you know, 10 yards. I'm addicted to getting close now. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a crazy, crazy journey along the way, which now with social media, pretty much everybody, you know, that follows me obviously knows what's gone on, but it's been, been a trip. It's been good. Now that's what I, um, that, so what year was that? 
2016. 2016. So I remember watching that kind of unfold. And I remember watching um, that process take place. And, and I was excited about it. And I've always I've always kind of had a drawn to shooting a recurve, but never kind of had the, the gusto to do it. Um, because it does take that just like that mindset change of I'm going to do this uh, and I'm going to make it work. Uh, I might go out and sling arrows and miss the target five out of ten times, but I'm going to get to the point where I can shoot this thing. And it takes that mindset, it takes that change. And so I, I remember watching that take place, and I remember, um, I remember thinking like one day I'll do it, but that's not today. And uh, and, and then finally I had I had full access to Jim Willems for an afternoon here at my house, and I just said, "Teach me how to shoot this thing," and uh, and that's that's been the goal ever since. And so before I ask the other two. Was all of you guys' decision to shoot a recurve like all in? I'm not shooting a compound anymore, or do you guys still hunt with compounds every once in a while? Uh, I, I shot a couple animals with one this year just to do some testing for some different for companies. Um, but you know, 99% uh, stick bow, and I really only pick up the compound if I need to for for testing purposes. My my choice is to always grab the stick. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, I haven't hunted with a compound since since '99. I guess I, yeah, that was put pretty much full in. And I think I know both Jim and Fred's answers, but you guys are pretty much strictly recurves, right? Well, I know I I, I shoot it all, man. If I can fling an atlatl or slingshot, I look. I mean, I I like it all. I would say traditional bows, you know, probably eighty five percent of it. But yeah, I enjoy handgun rival especially with the kids i like introducing them to everything so for yeah. me, it's everything <clears throat> well and dylan I, I think i've told you this story um but uh i'll, I'll go back to my beginnings I, I started hunting uh bow hunting in the late 70s and and uh the compound bow was truly king then uh you know most of the uh the recurve shooters from from the early days had switched because because it was easier to shoot and and when i started there just weren't hardly any uh, recurve bows available, and and nobody shot them. I, I knew one guy, uh, one one local guy that Yvonne Johnson. He shot a recurve bow. Um, so the first three or four years of my bow hunting career, I shot a compound, and uh, and, and my brother kind of got me into it. He's three years older than I am, and he started talking about switching to a recurve. And so all this, one day we decided, well, shoot, let's just do it. And I was able to borrow a 68-pound uh, uh, bear grizzly from Yvonne Johnson, um, which which was fine at the time because I was shooting about an 80-pound compound. And uh, started shooting that and then met uh, Fred Asbell at, I think, the Kansas Bowhunters Association banquet, and he was selling custom bighorn bows. And so in order to uh, buy a new custom-made bow, I had to sell my compound. So in, in 1983, I went cold turkey. Kind of like uh, um, Aaron's story, I, I had to sell my compound bow to buy a buy the recurve I wanted. And then from uh, from '83 to 2008, I, I did not own a single compound bow. But then I started hunting Africa, and I decided I wanted to shoot a, a Cape buffalo and an elephant with a bow. And I I couldn't even come close to a heavy enough recurve to even try it. And I'm not sure they'd even let you. So so I bought a, a big old heavy African Hoyt bow back then. And, uh, I was able to hold off using it on all of my North American hunts until 2014. I had, had a 
a neck injury and I ended up shooting a brown bear with that compound bow. And, uh, but now I'm, I'm back to shooting the recurves and that's all I hunt with. Now that, that story of you shooting that, that bear, um, is pretty incredible. Uh, that was the bear on the beach you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, run, run through that story real quick for me. Okay. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'd hurt my neck, uh, working, which I don't do much of, but I actually was doing a little bit. And uh, I couldn't shoot, couldn't shoot my recurve bow worth a darn. And my hunt was about a week and a half away. And I thought, well, I'll go see my chiropractor. He can usually fix me up and I'll, I'll be good. Um, by the time the hunt gets there and, uh, I was hunting a Fognac Island and they have, uh, they, they have, I think three 10 day hunts in the fall. And I was a second hunt. And so, uh, there was going to be a guy hunting 10 days and then I had the second 10 days and Long story short, uh, the outfitter calls me up on the first day of the first hunt and says, uh, the first guy killed his bear today. He's leaving tomorrow. How soon can you get here? And, and I was just in panic mode for one. I I was going to get there as soon as I could, but two, I've just was shooting like crap. So I I went and got the compound bow out and, and, uh, you know, put together some broadhead arrows and it was, it was still, still working, had to turn it way down. So I had to readjust the sights and, uh, Got it sighted in, threw everything in the bag, and I was in Alaska the next day going bear hunting, thinking that I still might be able to hunt with my recurve bow, but it it just didn't work. I just couldn't do it. So, you know, the choice was um, you know, shoot a compound bow or, or burn the hunt, and nobody's going to burn a $20,000 brown bear hunt. So, so uh, going after these bears, and, and uh, the great thing was I got there eight days early. I had an 18-day hunt instead of a 10-day hunt, so I was feeling pretty good about my chances. And uh, we're seeing a few bears. I passed up a eight-and-a-half-footer on, the, I think, the second day, and then we go three or four days without seeing a, a single boar anywhere. We, we can always find a sow and cub somewhere. And finally, we spotted a track, big track on a beach, and we landed the boat and, and went and looked at that track. And yeah, that's a, that's a big track. Everybody agreed. And we snuck over the ridge and saw a, a big old bear, a bear's back about 80 yards down below us. So, so, uh, we went back and got all our stuff together and got the video guy got ready and snuck back up there and we're sneaking up on this big old bear and two cubs pop up. It's like, Oh man, that's a sow. And, and brown bear sows can be big. They, they can get up to nine foot. So, so it's one of those things you got to be careful of. And to shorten the story a little bit, we, we realized that there was a, a dead whale on the beach just over the hill from where we were. So we got up on the hill and, and watched this bear, this uh, dead whale all day long. And we saw 17 brown bears coming into that dead whale through the day. But none of them were a big boar. And, and the, the big boar's tracks were everywhere. So... So we decided, well, he has to be nocturnal. He's going to be coming in at night, and we're going to have to come in real early in the morning and hope he's still there. So so that's what we did. We we went back to camp, spent the night, got up real early, got in the next morning, and, and uh, the wind had changed, so we had to go in a different direction. But the guide sent the helper up on the hill to glass down at the dead well, and and uh, he gives us a thumbs up. So, so we have all our stuff together and sneaking up over the little rise to, down into the the dead well and, um, really cool setup. There was, you know, the whales on the beach and the, uh, the, the ocean swells washed trash and trees and logs and everything up on the beach above where the well was. So you had all this cover to sneak in behind and 
and uh, we got into what I, I I guess was under 30 yards. Um, my guide told me it was 23, and uh, you know waited probably had to wait about 10 minutes for the bear to turn broadside and and I took the shot with this 70 pound compound bow and um and I hit low you know it was it was still a killing shot but it was it was low and angling back a little bit so it didn't kill him right away and and he didn't run off he he just kind of humps up and looks around and eventually he walks by us right you know between us and the beach he walks by at about 12 yards and I get a second arrow in him. This one's just perfect right behind the shoulder. And uh, there's another big bear down on the beach. And because that other bear was on the beach, my bear didn't want to go that direction because he was he was sick. And I'm sure he was hurting pretty good. And so he walked towards us. And, you know, I'm, I'm busy knocking up another arrow, and he walks by it like 10 feet and then just keeps going. And uh, – I had the arrow knocked up and I looked up and, and thought, okay, he's, he's going down. And he actually stumbled a little bit like he was going down. And just that instant he turned and came right at us. And, uh, he was maybe 15 to 20 yards when he caught our wind and then turned and came at us. And, and my guide, Luke, he yelled a couple of times trying to get him to stop and he didn't stop. So Luke shot him with the 375 right in the back of the head at about 12 feet. So now you were the uh, were you the president of the Pope and Young Club at that time? Yes, I was. Yes. And you couldn't enter that bear because it was finished off with a rifle. Yeah, that's correct. It's it's not considered a bow kill. And I remember I remember talking with you about that and saying, "Don't you think there's some strings you can pull?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Fred, I uh, I kind of missed you and uh, need a loop back on your on your start with a recurve and and kind of what made you decide to go with with the uh, traditional bow. Well, you know, reason Fred Bear's field notes were a big inspiration. I grew up hunting with my dad from a little kid, but and my dad wasn't a bow hunter; he's a rifle and muzzleloader hunter. I told him I wanted to bow hunt pretty bad, so. He's like, okay, well, let's get you a bow. So started out with a uh, compound and had a blast with that and then got a job working at Bear Archery when I think I was 18 and uh, working at Bear Archery under Frank Scott. And, you know, there was a bunch of really cool guys there, Joe White, you know, a bunch of the old old guard. And Frank Scott actually gave me a custom Kodiak. And I was like, man, I might have to try that. And then uh, – Took a job managing an archery shop up in Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, the owner of the shop, Jim Widmeyer, who was an amazing traditional, uh, not only a shot, but amazing hunter. Um, he was real good friends with Mike Palmer, as Aaron mentioned earlier. Those two guys really, uh, you know, were, were probably a lot of the catalysts in getting me going. Uh, my dad always, once I got my dad into bow hunting, he wanted a recurve, so he shot a recurve, and that's all he's ever, that's all he's ever played with bow wise but uh so yeah those guys uh jim widmeyer and mike palmer and frank scott probably had the biggest influence on me trying it out and i thought it'd be just fun to shoot something with it and you know then go back to the back to the compound but you know for me i was like man it's way easier to hunt with a traditional bow than it is a compound so it gives me an advantage in the field so you know i i went to it not for more of a challenge, but because I thought it was more efficient in the field when it came to hunting situations. So, so that was, uh, you know, kind of an eye opener to me and, and I just stuck with it. Love it. And you kind of blew my mind, uh, when you painted that picture of, of how it's easier to, to hunt with a recurve, 
because in my mind, it's always been the opposite. Aaron, uh, being the guy who, other than myself, has been the most recent to switch, have you found it more effective to hunt with a recurve? Yeah, in a lot of ways. I'd say this is probably one thing where Clay and I had probably talked earlier that, that I'd say probably eating some crow um, on this. I, I would say I'm more lethal. Well, I, I wouldn't say I know I'm more lethal inside of 40 with a stick bow than I am with a compound because I can get the shot off quicker. Um, and uh, I feel super comfortable out to 40, really good at 30 and in. And I fly the way that I hunted because um, when you're not afraid to drop a hundred yard bomb kicking up animals, it's, you know, you hunt differently where, you know, now a hundred yards is a par four. Um, I did <laughs> modify things, but overall, see um, more game because I have to be a lot more patient uh, you know, it, it may be tough at times. Obviously, I'm not saying shooting a stick is easier all the way around, but overall, I, w- I would I would pick a stick inside a 40, uh, which I never thought I would say that in that first year. I, I just constantly I kept telling myself the first big game animal I shot was a bear, and I was I, I wasn't as, as as good of a shot as I am now. I just started, so I was between 40 and 60 yards from it for an hour. And I kept thinking you would be so dead if I had my compound and I had <laughs> tell me that will go away. And I'm like, it ain't going away, you know, but it did. I, I mean, eventually I just became a better, you know, hunter and got, got close. Um, but yeah, I'd say, yeah, 40 and in is, I would pick the stick. I mean, after 40, I would, I would pick a compound, but I just shoot everything 40 and in now. So I think what you just said is, is, spot on and that's why i asked you the question you know fred fred painted this picture of how it's easier um you know if me and you were standing at 27 yards uh you had your your recurve i had my compound you would have an arrow in that kill zone before i do and uh you know so many times that's the name of the game is why i if they would have paused for a matter of seconds i could have shot and uh and, and when you should hunt with the recurve you're cutting down that time substantially that you need them to, to stop um and so yeah i uh that that was kind of my mind switch too but but also exactly like you just said when i made the switch i decided in my mind i want to make myself a better hunter and not just try to be a better shot um because just like you said you know you go out with your your compound and all summer long you're practicing at 80 to 100 to 120 and you're just focusing on being a good shot um, but, but now you pick up the recurve and it's like, all right, let's learn how to be a better hunter. And so that's what I, I, I that, those are, that's exactly my draw to it. Uh, before we move on and I don't know, you know, I don't know how many of you guys are Easton fans. I know, I know a couple of you are, but, uh, just want to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Easton. Um, they make some of the finest arrows. I, uh, I recently just got some of the new, um, axis four millimeters in, which is what I'm going to be shooting out of my, my recurve. They fly like darts. Fred, that's what you're shooting out of yours, isn't it? Yes, sir. I just got some of those, and uh, yeah, I, they're they're awesome. You no, know, I, I like the nostalgia of wood. That's pretty awesome, and aluminums are neat, but it's hard to beat the penetration and the you know flight characteristics of a carbon. You know, especially a small diameter. I shoot lightweight, and that extra penetration helps me out a bunch. Yeah, and those uh, those four millimeters. You know, I I, uh, I had four four different arrows and uh shot them all and those were just flying the best for me and so uh go check out easton archery uh because they have an incredible lineup of arrows um now for all of you guys what was that one defining moment um you know and maybe for 
maybe if you started with a recurve and that's all you've ever known, maybe you didn't have that defining moment. But what was that moment where you were like, yeah, I, making the switch was the right call. This is what I want to do. Um, this is what it's all about. I, I, I Mine's kind of unique. So these obviously these other gentlemen have been doing it a lot longer. Mine being more frequent was um, in 2016, I shot the, the stick all year. Had a very successful year. I put a bunch of animals on the ground, learned a bunch, but for multiple different reasons. In seventeen, I grabbed a compound, and I was in Alberta with a, a buddy of mine. We were both hunting together. Uh, he had a stick bow. I had my compound. I uh, I shot a great deer in Alberta um, opening day. Wasn't really excited uh, about it. Like I nor I mean, I'm always excited, but not not at the level that that I you know, quickly realized I was with a recurve later that day, uh, my buddy with the recurve, we went on a stock. We, when we both ended up tagging out the first day, his stock was much more technical than mine. We got to about eight yards, 12 yards. Uh, you know, he had a longbow, uh, made a great shot. I was at a multiplier of about a thousand more excited about watching him and filming that, than I was shooting my own deer. And so I had like this, what alcoholics would call a moment of clarity. I sat down and was like, what the hell am I doing? And sold all my shit again and got, another, got recurves. And obviously that's not going to change now, but that was my, okay, what are you doing? Snyder pick up a stick. That's what belongs in your hand kind of moment. And it, and it took to grab that compound. Nothing against, like I said, I shoot a compound sometimes, but I mean that, that true love and passion and everything else, for the recurve really showed right there that Aaron, you're a recurve shooter. Just stick with shooting a recurve. That was a great point, man. That's the excitement level. I think that hit the nail on the head. Does anybody else have that defining switch moment? Yeah, uh, this is Jim. Um, I, I, you know, I'm kind of the old guy in the group and it's been so far back. It's kind of hard for me to remember some of this stuff. Um, but, but I remember, Right when I was switching over, and and primarily I was a whitetail guy. I was living in Kansas, and and it's a lot easier to do it there because you have, you know, whitetail hunters. They shoot at twenty yards. It's fifteen to twenty-two max, and and even today, you know, our Pope and, Rung, Pope and Young statistics shows that the average is just barely over twenty yards on a whitetail. So so that's a little different than hunting out west. And uh, I, I think my defining moment was I was I was visiting with an, an old guy I know, and, and I can say he's an old guy because he just had his 90th birthday, but this was, shoot, 40 years ago. And uh, he, he had been one of my heroes growing up, and, and he had hunted the first two Kansas deer seasons in 65 and 66 before he moved to New Mexico. And, and he'd hunted with an old red wing hunter, and he'd killed two great bucks. Um, I think both of them off the ground back in the, the first two deer seasons. And and was talking to him about it, and and uh, I was like, well, well, you know, with with the compounds nowadays, you can shoot farther. And he said, oh, I don't know about that. He said, I I could hit a pipe plate at forty yards all the time back in those days. And and I was like, man, I I can't do that. Um, you know, I'm, I can do that at twenty, but forty, that's just too much. And then I got to thinking about it. Well, shoot, if he can do it, I can do it. And and that that was what really convinced me that I wasn't ever going to go back. I was going to learn how to shoot that well out to 40 yards. And, and yeah, that's what I did. That's, that's I never really looked back. Clay, 
I know you kind of you kind of defined that moment yourself uh, when you talked about um, when you talked about making the switch. Uh, but was there one specific time uh, or moment where you're like, "Yeah, this is it"? No, not really. I mean, <clears throat> for me, I, I think it was just always there. I just didn't have the guidance I needed to, you know, go down the path that I would eventually go down. And once I found that that instruction. You know, it was just like, that's where I was always supposed to be. I just didn't know it. And let me just say this, um, while you're on the topic of finding that guidance, um, A, that was my issue. I'm like, you know, I've got guys around me uh, that have shot compounds their whole life. And they, they, you know, when I got that start, they were there to help me. They were there to guide me, teach me. I didn't have that for a recurve. And so that's what kept me back. And that's what, that's what made me, you know, kind of pump the brakes on ever starting. And so that was the purpose for this series that we're that we're concluding is uh, the trad series. That was the purpose for this is hopefully, you know, somebody who has faced that barrier of, well, I want to start, but I don't know where I don't even know how to pick a bow. I don't know how to pick arrows. I don't know how to shoot. I don't know. Um, you know, that was the purpose in wanting to do this series. And so what I tried to do was just get as many guys as I could with as much knowledge as I can. Um, so, so, to teach and, and walk you through the process of beginning uh, traditional archery. And so, you know, guys like Jim and Aaron and, and Fred and, and Chris Perino, Harvey Ebers, uh, walking you through all of these different uh, aspects of shooting a, a, a recurve. Um, that's That was the purpose in building this. So if you've ever thought to yourself, I want to shoot a recurve, but I don't know how, I don't know where to get my start, go back and listen uh, to these six episodes and, and and i promise you uh fred shares some incredible tips on setting up your bow aaron uh shares some incredible tips on arrow selection and how to set up your arrow uh jim talks about um choosing a bow and and uh harv ebers talks about shot execution and so just so much knowledge uh in, in this series that we just did so go back and listen to those but also uh, I did want to mention that Clay Clay puts out some incredible informational stuff um, on aiming and, and shot execution and, and back tension. And, and uh, Clay, I've personally digested hours of your stuff as I made this switch. And so keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep it up because, uh, you know, I believe a lot of guys need that, and, and I needed it. And so keep doing what you're doing. But also, guys, go check out Clay uh, because he puts out some awesome content. Um Fred, did you have that defining moment for yourself? Man, you know, Aaron probably hit the nail on the head for me. It was just that excitement level. You know, it's... Uh, you you know, get excited, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I, I, I still haven't figured out how to... I finally figured out how to stay calm before the shot. I just haven't figured out how to stay calm after it yet. But... Uh, <laughs> Dang, I have that same problem. Dude, I know, right? It took me a while to get called before it, but afterwards is when it all bubbles out. But, but yeah, Aaron, when he said that, you know, the, the excitement level, and and you know, that's the thing. And I, I enjoy shooting it all. Like I said, I, you know, I guide guys like a lot of these guys on here. You know, guide hunters and take other people out, and you know, taking my boys out, I want to introduce them to everything out there that's legal, every method of hunting, and and for me personally, you know, it, there's just no, there's no comparison to a to a rifle or you know a handgun or you know any of the other stuff to me you know when, when i shoot some of the recurve i mean it's all fun but man that traditional bow it just oh, it makes everything a trophy it makes it awesome it just feels cooler and and so yeah it would just be that that same excitement level and wow what what really gets me excited and that would be uh um don't tell my wife but 
probably the most exciting is the traditional bow. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that is a. I love Fred because of his excitement. That's what that's what makes him interesting and makes him fun to watch. Um, but but you're absolutely correct, man. I remember shooting my first deer ever with a rifle at 250 yards uh, down in southern Arkansas. The thing weighed 70 pounds. But uh, I remember, I remember being excited. I mean, I was a kid; it was my first year. I was excited. But then I remember being a a teenager and harvesting my first deer with a compound, and the excitement level was times ten. Um, and then my first animal with a recurve was was a hog, and the excitement level was times ten past the re- the compound. And it just seems as though the closer you are to that animal, just like Aaron talked about, you know, wanting to shoot him inside ten yards, the closer you are to that animal, the more intimate it is, the more exciting it is, the more I mean, just overwhelmed you get with just that 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 pure joy of the harvest. You also get more exercise because you're probably going to blow more out. So you have to go back to your glassing point to redo, which is good. if you so It's a win-win for me. I get more exercise just shooting at home because I miss the target more. Uh, so I got to, A, chase arrows, but B, walk around looking, looking for them in the grass. Uh, so I get more exercise even just shooting at home. Yeah. Well, one of the first hunts, um, and Clay, I don't know if you remember this, I shot a – the first year, my, my second big game animal, I stalked into a mule deer to like, I don't know, Frank's here. Frank flagged me in four or five feet. I, my my arrow was between its horns when I drew back. And I remember the moment the arrow hit that deer thinking that shit would have never happened with my compound. Because I didn't <laughs> get that close, you know. And, and it was one of those things where I get typewriter legs sometimes in a tree stand, but trying to keep my composure i had a decent crosswind every now and then that let, let me get closer and i got to nine yards through a couple rocks I, I i could see the top of his antler tips he wasn't moving and i thought like, well i guess i'll just climb on top of that rock and shoot him and uh you know when it when it happened i was like okay this is a new feeling for me because uh you know literally like the the arrow the broadhead was between its antlers the top of them when i drew and that was a pretty I'm like, wow, that that is not going to ever happen to me. I, it could, I guess. I'm just not going to let it happen with a compound where, you know, with with the stick, I've got to be more patient. And, you know, I've learned a ton, and I'm still new at this. I've learned a, a ton. And like I said, some of the things Clay said in the beginning, I'm like, whatever, dude. And now I'm like, ah, I'm eating a little crow, whatever. Maybe Clay was right. But it, it, it's been awesome the whole way. I, I don't regret, you know, anything. And, and that close, um, being that close, even if you blow one out, watching a guy stalk and get 13 14 yards uh with a stick bow is is more exciting for me than watching a guy you know drop a bomb at 100 yards with a compound because getting within 13 whether you you know or 10 or whatever whether you harvest that animal kill that animal or not it's a victory i mean you you got into its living room and, and that's something to be said for that and and it's becoming kind of a lost start which is one of the things i know we all and i'm trying to focus on to others to get them to switch from a compound is you are missing a big part of hunting if you're taking those longer shots yeah you are you absolutely are um and i you know i had a guy tell me i had a guy tell me and it might have been jim i don't remember if it was you jim you can speak up but i had a guy tell me you you can never use the saying if i only had my compound because you don't have your compound. You're, it's a different hunt. It's a different situation. You don't have it. Um, so don't look at, well, if I had this, then I would have been able to harvest that animal. Because that's going to make you um, bitter towards your recurve. 
Well, I think I think if you have if, if you have that thought, you, you should probably have your compound. I mean, you should probably be hunting with it because, I, I mean, if you have that thought, you're focusing on the kill, right? You're not focusing on what Aaron was just talking about. Like, man, I just you you might not have got a shot at that animal, but man, I was just ten feet from that animal. Like that never would have happened had you had your compound. You know, it's, yeah. I I feel like you might not you might not put as many antlers on the wall or as much meat in the freezer with a recurve. But when you do that, like the reward that you get from that is so much greater, but the cost is blown stalks, you know, and you just got to get to a point eventually. And I think this is what Aaron was talking about that we had talked to before, you know, eventually you get to the point where it's, you're just happy to have been that close. You know, you're just happy to have had that experience. And, and I mean, that's the way, that's the way I've looked at it for decades. I'd probably argue with you on that way. I've proven you can be as successful with a stick. Now, I'm not saying your stick, Clay, because I am not diving into that world because I'm not going to be rubbing any funk on the tree outside and rub, making my own bow. But with a <laughs> recurve, um, I think if you put the the time and discipline in it, I – you know, and I get to hunt a lot. So, I mean, but most hunts I go on, I'm, I'm, I'm successful at about the same amount of time with my stick as I was with my, my re my compound. So I, I'm not saying that to, to argue for argument's sake, but what people listening in, if you put in the effort and, and, in the field craft animal behavior, I would not look at the recurve in any way as a detriment. I think you can be as successful, if not more, because if you're more patient, Chances are you're going to learn more about animal behavior. The more you learn about that, the more successful you'll be. Now, that is not with a self-made bow. I am not ever going to probably try that. That, But with my bow that I have, because um, yeah, I just don't know that much about self-bows. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking so much about self-bows, but just traditional uh, in general. And I'm not saying that you can't be as successful with a traditional bow. And like you said, if you put in the time, absolutely – I think what I was what I was mainly talking about is on a on a an efficiency basis. Like if you have one day to hunt, you're probably more likely to kill an animal if you have a compound than if you have a traditional bow. I mean that's just that's just facts. That's just the way it is because you can. It's a lot easier to get within seventy yards of that animal than it is to get within thirty yards. That's that's the point that I was trying to make. Gotcha. Yeah, and I I don't know I. I um... You know what? I, I it, it's difficult because I I I to, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I think people with a compound, if they went to a stick, would learn animal behavior a lot better, which would allow them to get closer, which may even up. That's what happened to me. Is I was like, okay, maybe I do suck somewhat as a hunter, and then figured out to close that distance from seventy to thirty-five. And so I guess not blueprinting all of it, but I think once you pick that stick up you have to involve as a hunter evolve and part of that evolution is learning animal behavior becoming more patient so it may not be apples to apples and and you're right you can drop a bomb at 70 but i think you'll become a better hunter overall and be close to as successful because you're becoming a better hunter while you have that that recurve or that you know you're limiting your that technology in your hand you're, you're learning more about the outdoors yeah no i i agree with that it's um you know, when you choose to limit yourself and limit your distances and things like that, you're just, 
it gives you the opportunity to learn from those animals because you're not able to, I mean, you're not able to make those 70 yard shots. And so when you, when you were talking about, I don't remember what animal it was, uh, being within 40 or 50 yards for an hour. I mean, heck you're spending an hour learning and watching that animal's behavior, seeing what it does, how it responds to its environment and all of those things you can use later on. And you're, you know, when you're out hunting another animal, all those lessons that you've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot in the last years or five, <laughs> a lot of screw ups. Where were you guys helping me? Dang. Say that again. Oh, I said, I, I learned a lot in the last, you know, four or five years. And I, I like it. I said, you know, some, some humble pie and obviously, I mean, there's not a lot of, um, there is a lot more now, but in 16, there wasn't as many avenues to go through. There was pretty much, there was, there was Fred and Clay. I mean, that was there. I was lucky. I had to, the, the clums by me. Um, now there's, there's a lot more resources, but you know, the big point I try to get across to people is you might be a little bit more successful with a compound, but you're going to be a hell of a better woodsman with a stick bow. And if you put the effort in, you, you will put animals on the ground. You, you will be successful if you don't hit the easy button and stick with it. Absolutely. Now, you talked about those lessons learned. Uh, gentlemen, what's the biggest, and, and maybe you have a story to go with it, but uh, what's that big lesson that you've learned over the years when it comes to recurve? Learned that you can miss a couple times and the animals don't hear it, and I kill it on the third arrow. That never happens with a compound. That probably isn't <laughs> what we're talking about, but I've, Tom Clum told me that would happen, and uh, that happened on my first big game animal. I missed it 20 because I had you know crap running down both legs. My right leg was shaking. <laughs> he didn't hear the boat. <laughs> a better position and then I shot him. So that really isn't what you're talking about. But, you know, I'd say the biggest thing I've learned is if you're patient um, and you have good wood, woodsmanship, you will be successful. You will be able to get, you know, close. Um, a, a few different animals that, 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 that gave me troubles, really just persistence and, and staying after it, you know, paid off, uh, which was a lot more. I had a lot better. Uh, sense of accomplishment with the recurve making that happen by far than I did with the compound. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree with that as well. And, and one of the things I learned early on was um, I was such a bad shot. I had to learn how to be a really good hunter uh, <laughs> because I'd have to have multiple, multiple chances. And, uh, you know, I, I used to tell people, well, I'm about 50% on my shooting. And I thinking back, there was times when I wasn't even close to that. Uh, but, but the good thing was I was persistent and, uh, I, I, you know, kick the dirt and cuss and spit, go get my arrow and sharpen it and go back the next day and, and, uh, do it all over again. And you, you just have to have the mindset of then I'm going to kill the next one. I'm going to kill the next one. And, uh, eventually it worked. Yeah. Having a short-term memory, I believe is very important. <laughs> you need to forget what happened and, <laughs> Thank God I was born with that because guys are like, oh, I can't believe you missed. You know, I missed the 200-inch mule deer in the high country. And I'm like, well, let's not talk about that. I, I don't want to that. We're moving on from that. That's old. Like, <laughs> you know, my last affects my, my next one. And, and I've been able to get a, a good handle on that. Yeah, I tend to repress the memory of the misses, too. Fred. I, I sometimes totally forget. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever missed. <laughs> <laughs> Fred, what's a big lesson you've learned over the years? 
man, just, uh, you know, that you, you've got to tune your stuff. I mean, those guys' points are all super valid. You know, that short-term memory is great. And being an optimist, uh, which I think all, all bow hunters are. And also, uh, you know, just, just the fact that uh, a lot of guys do themselves a disservice by being either overbowed or not realizing that, uh, you know, recurves, long bows and all that stuff, they, they need to be tuned up just like, anything else and and i've i've seen some guys that probably would have been amazing shots and and put a lot more animals on the on the ground but they had done themselves a disservice by not having you know properly tuned their equipment and it's you know it cost me some animals early on um, even though i had some great mentors once i started trying to you know tune my own traditional equipment and switching arrows or you know you know switching strings even or or different bows uh, you know the fact that you know, it took me a while to learn how to properly tune one and get that bear shaft flying like a dart. Um, you know, that's just, that was, that was, you know, some of those were tough lessons because some animals walked away that, that wouldn't have if I would have had, uh, you know, equipment uh, that was shooting well. But that goes back to that optimism and short-term memory like these guys just said. And again, if you jump back a few episodes, um, you run me through how to tune a bow. And I, you know, I learned so much in that episode. I learned so much on uh, on how to tune my bow. And and uh, again, if it wasn't in the negative degrees here, I would have went out and and done exactly what we talked about already. But uh, it's been too cold for me to do that. So, um, but no, I I learned a ton from that episode, and I believe everybody can can learn something from that on on how to tune a bow. Um, Clay, what do you got for me? Uh well, I was sitting here trying to think. Um... But I think really the biggest is just the love of the hunt, you know, you, and that's, you got to have that. And Aaron had talked about persistence. That's, that's something you've got to have. But I think to have that, you've, you've first got to have a love of the hunt um, just to stick with it and, and put on, put in all of that effort that it's going to take to be successful um, with those weapons. I like it. I like it. No, and that's, you know, that's uh Chris Perino is one of my favorite guys, um, on planet earth. Cause anytime you ask him a question, you're like, well, anytime you try to ask him a technical question, he's like, I don't know. I just, uh, I shoot what works for me. And that's all I do. And, uh, he's like, I just like to hunt, like to kill stuff. And that's all that matters. And I'm like, okay, very good. <laughs> and, uh, but that's just the simplicity he keeps it to. And that's why I believe he's so successful is because, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't overcomplicate everything. He just loves to hunt. He find out what works for him. And, and that's just what he does. I just spent a, a week with him. He was helping us guide uh, Owdad hunters in the Davis Mountains. And uh, and I've known Chris for a long time. That dude is a trip because he is exactly like what you say. I went on a full-on dissertation on tuning, um, aerospine, FOC, brace, I mean, everything, knock tuning. And they're like, Chris, what do you think? He's like, uh, I just kill stuff. Yeah. And, and I mean, that was that simple. He's like, it's pointy at the end and I get closer. And I was like, yeah, that's another way to do it for sure. That is definitely a way to do it. Yeah. No, I remember, I remember calling him and I'm like, Hey man, I need to order some new arrows from Easton. What would you recommend? He's like, I just find an arrow that shoots and I shoot it. And uh, I'm like, okay, thanks man. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. He's a trip. No, he's yeah, a fun some guy. People can, some people can do that and get away with it. But, but going back to what Fred says, uh, you just, figuring out how to tune your bow and what you need to look for and going through all of that steps that just gets you that much closer to the bow. And, and it, it makes you that much better. You know, even if you're, you don't recognize that you're a better shot, you understand what you and the bow are doing and what, what it's capable of. And then when it's time for the shot, you just have so much more confidence and 
And that's what it really comes down to. You, you have to uh, shoot at animals and kill some animals and, and figure out what it feels like to, uh, to be successful. And then as soon as you get that confidence and, and you're thinking, you know, this animal's not going to get away. Uh, I, I think that's what causes a lot of buck fever is people are afraid it's going to get away or you're going to screw up. And uh, my thought was I was always afraid it was going to get away. But once you can get past that and, and realize that oh, I'm going to kill this animal, it's just so much easier to make the shot. No, you're absolutely correct. And I, uh, all great tips. Um, and again, I'm just, this, this, this episode and this series is just so chocked full of knowledge and, and little tips and tricks. And, and, uh, you know, I know, uh, I know Aaron's kind of passion, uh, for, for having that arrow and tuning that arrow and, and putting so much thought into his arrows. And so that's why I had him do the arrow building episode and arrow setup episode. And so, Again, if you want to hear that, jump back a couple episodes and uh, hear Aaron talk about how to how to find that arrow that's going to work for you. Um, Fred, I want you to share that story. Um, so in the last podcast you were on, you shared the story of that fox that almost bit your face off. Um, but you also mentioned the story, and, and I got to see that footage. Um, Alex showed it to me on our recent hunt down in South Texas um, about that mule deer that you shot. That was a really cool hunt with that mag riser. Uh, tell, me, tell me about that hunt. Now, I'm trying to. Are you, do you mean the Sitka blacktail on Kodiak with the decoy, or which? Yes, I'm sorry. That's the one. No, yes, no problem. You're, you're yeah. sitting, sitting behind the decoy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was just a, you know, just an awesome, awesome hunt for me. I mean, when I, I mean, like a lot of guys, you know, I, I grew up reading Fred Bear's Field Notes, so he was a huge inspiration as far as, you know, talk about a guy that just had a great, a great way of telling a story. Uh, a super good guy had time for everybody would talk to anybody super passionate guy and arguably you know had the biggest impact um on our industry you know as much as anyone um so fred was always one of those guys that to me i was like wow and and i remember reading stories when i was a kid about you know the valiant made the you know the boat he was on and you know kodiak island and you know, I got to see that footage on TV when I was a kid of him shooting that monster brown bear, you know, that came around the rock. And I just thought, holy chowder. So for me, just being on Kodiak was fun because it makes me think of Fred Bear and, you know, and some how many people he's influenced. Um, but, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I wasn't after brown bear. I just, you know, I was after sick of black tail and I was with the family. And, you know, as, as a couple guys alluded to, you know, it's, it's about getting close and having fun. And, uh, you know, I had uh, – montana decoy with me and showed it to a sickle blacktail and and he came up to uh about five yards which is right in my wheelhouse i got a 50 50 chance of hitting them if they're right there and and he came around and gave me a great shot and man it was it was just one of those one of those deals it was just you know it was just inspiring it was really neat and you know walking around wondering if fred baird stood right where i was standing or you know had been in the area i was you know i was at it was really a neat uh that whole thing was just neat to me because he really did, uh, you know, besides my father and, you know, guys like Mike Palmer and Jim Widmeyer, Frank Scott, you know, Fred Bear, without even knowing it, had a huge influence on on me wanting to be a, you know, a bow hunter. Now, Aaron, you kind of have a, a story um, kind of the same. I never heard the story, but I've seen you post about that antelope that you shot with that pop-up decoy. Um, tell me about that hunt. That was your first antelope with a recurve, am I correct? It, it it was i uh i had tried a, a little bit before and again i'm, I'm kind of goal oriented i set those ahead of time and so i was actually sitting uh fred you're pretty good friends with danny he's quite a comedian um, oh he's a great guy yeah so i'm sitting in a ground blind and 
he's uh, texting, where are you at? And I said, oh, I'm on that property, got permission. And he's like, why aren't you here? And I'm like, well, because there's antelope around me and it's 114 and I'm I'm not overly happy in this blind. And he goes, well, I hope you suck and you miss. Get over here. And, <laughs> but, and I'm like, uh, so after like six hours of him texting me and sending like bad voodoo, I'm like, all right, dude. So I got out of the blind drove down to, to Danny's. We hung out the next morning. Uh, we actually tried a little bit decoying the next morning. Uh, and then that afternoon he's like, dude, let's, uh, let's get the decoy out and we'll hide behind the horses. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, it works. It's awesome. And anyway, so I, um, yeah, I was like, whatever. I, I mean, I'm up. So I strapped a cow decoy to my bow and, uh, we got, um, one of his buddies that's kind of leading the horse. Uh, Danny is not exactly a set of car keys in his older age. So we got three fat dudes behind two horses. And horses aren't normally, uh, you know, used to humans walking beside them. Um, and so they weren't real keen on that. And I'm like shouldering this horse trying to get it to move. And we're at 150, you know, 200 yards. We're at 100. We're at 80. And I'm like, okay, this, this might work. Like we're going to has me pick this head up. And so the idea was we would get uh, at a distance close enough where I could shoot. And then I would kind of pop out and I'd have that cow decoy. Um, so we're, I'm literally like body slamming this horse, trying to get it to go in the right direction. And I, I, I shot twice. Uh, the first shot he was trying to film underneath the horse and it was a male horse. And so there was something in the camera in the way as he's dropping below the horse's leg. <laughs> trying to the, the first shot. So the, uh, uh, the, the second shot, um, we, we got a little bit closer because the antelope had no idea. When it looked up, when I took the first shot, it, it just saw a decoy and went back to feeding. And so we got a little bit closer and I could hear Danny say, move, move, trying to get the horses closer. And so... Uh, we got to 39 yards and no wind. I was comfortable and I, I popped out, um, you know, antelope kind of looked up, put his head back down and you pinwheeled it. It ran about 45 yards, rolled up and, it, you know, it's a, an unbelievable antelope. Um, you know, it's it's not Boone and Crockett, but, it, you know, it's into Pope and well into Pope and Young. And I literally I dropped my bow and. You know, the footage when we, we send it out will be funny because I, I literally very rarely do I get, you know, I'm not overly excited after an animal. I'm more gracious and uh, nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just usually quiet. And I kind of put my hands on my head. I was like, I can't believe that panned out. I mean, I've spent hours in a blind, low crawled hundreds, thousands of yards trying to get one of these. And it all boiled to hide three dudes hiding behind a, you know, horse and, and popping out behind a decoy. And you know, Danny was just, I was like, dude, I cannot believe that happened. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those moments you're, you're not ever going to forget. Um, you know, and I, I've had some crazy experiences in the last, you know, few years. I, I shot a, a Wolverine in the Chugach mountains at like 14 yards. And I, I shot a, a mountain goat. My wife was, they got all the film and footage, uh, you know, here in Colorado with the, with the stick and all of those hunts, really boiled down to when, you know, when you look at it, as far as the weapon goes, the majority of the story of how exciting it is, is because of how close I got where there, there would have been a story, but it wouldn't have been as crazy of a story if I had a compound because I'm just not getting as close. And I always keep that in mind. If I ever get down a little bit that, you know what, 
um, what I get out of the hunt is a lot more uh, than, than it was before. Now, is there anywhere to watch that hunt? There, It will be. I got to get Danny and kick him in the ding-ding and get him to, to – uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it'll be up soon on his website. Yeah, man. Well, shoot me a link, and uh, as soon as that goes live, I'd love to watch that. Um, before we move on, Jim Willems, uh, you've got you've got a minute and a half to give us a, an ad or a plug for Pope and Young. Oh, man, that's going to be tough. A minute and a half. I'm not prepared. Uh, okay, here, <laughs> here we go. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I've been involved with the Pope and Young Club since, uh, I think, 1987. Uh, my brother got me involved more than anything. He wanted to become an official major, and we went to the convention in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And and uh, it was such a sun, fun event that uh, I joined, and, and he became a major. And, and uh, then we were both determined to stick with it long enough be, to – get really involved with the club and then then i became a major and and got involved with the club but but uh the, the pope and young club uh, along with all of the uh, state and local organizations from way back when uh are the sole reason why we have archery seasons all over the country separate archery seasons we have preferred dates we have long seasons um you know everything we have today goes back to the beginnings of the pope and young club and uh working with the state organizations and state wildlife agencies. And now here we are fast forward. Uh, this, we're coming up on our 60th year. Um, we, we've won a whole lot of those battles and everybody seems to take for granted that, you know, we have it and we're not going to lose it. But the, the problem is if you don't fight for it, you will lose it. We have all over the country, we have, uh, rifle hunters want to hunt earlier, want to hunt in the rut. The muzzleloader hunters think they need, to get into our seasons and uh you know we we have to be selfish about it we fought hard to get the preferred times because we we hunt harder and it's harder for us to be successful so we're still fighting those battles and and people need to understand that uh you know these battles never go away it seems like they do and it seems like it's just taking care of itself but it, it never does uh, all bow hunters need to be involved in in one way or another whether it's uh, the state organization or the Pope and Young Club, you, you need to get involved and support one of these organizations because we need your help to keep fighting these battles to make sure that we still have long and, uh, and, and ideal timed seasons. And that, that's what the Pope and Young Club is here for. Absolutely. The Pope and Young Club is the voice of bow hunters all across America. So if you're not a member of Pope and Young, I would highly encourage you to go check them out. Uh, they've been a, a, a good friend of the show for a long time. And, and uh, you know, Jim Willems was kind of my introduction to the Pope and Young Club. And, and uh, I've kind of fallen in love with what they do and what they stand for. So go check out the Pope and Young Club. Clay, how old are your boys? Uh, my oldest boy will be 12 this, uh, this fall. So he'll be old enough to hunt big game in Idaho. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. Oh, I bet. Oh yeah. We've, uh, we've already got some plans in Idaho. If, if, uh, if my wife or I draw a tag, we can transfer it to him. And so, uh, I don't hardly ever put in for tags because the general over the counter opportunities are so liberal. Um, but I'm going to start putting in for him now and, uh, we've got our eye on some pretty, uh, pretty good hunts that we could transfer to him if uh, if we happen to draw him and then my uh, my younger boy will be nine now do you think and this kind of goes uh, you know i've kind of talked to fred about this uh, a little bit but with you being such a a uh, 
traditional guy. Uh, do you think your boys will ever venture off into into compounds and 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 crossbows, or or you think they'll kind of just follow in dad's footsteps and hunt with a recurve their whole life? I don't know. You know that that remains to be seen. Um, if they want to pick up a compound, that's fine with me. I don't care. Uh, just as long as we're out in the woods having fun together. Yeah. Now, what was their? Uh, have both of them harvested an animal with a recurve before? My oldest boy hasn't yet. Uh, we're trying. We're working on that. We're trying to get him on a hog um, uh, this uh, this spring. My younger boy killed that pig last year, um, but uh, he's you know. Finn, the younger one, he's the one that really has the drive. Um, Coy, right. the, the, my older boy, he's more into fishing, um, but he's he's taken more of an interest in hunting uh, this year. I think probably because he's going to be able to to do some out, uh, hunting out west this year. But um, it's uh, it's fun having him out there. You you definitely give up some opportunities to put meat in the freezer, but having them along and uh, being able to show them and teach them different things is is a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I've got a I've got a two year old boy, and uh, and he's all about bows, and he's all about hunting guns, um, and and I think I think part of the problem was the the first animal I shot in which he was really old enough to understand, uh, he was old enough to see the footage and and say, man, that was my dad, you know, uh, was a bear, and so he's all about bear hunting. And he doesn't understand. We live in Kansas. You're not going to see bears here. Uh, but but he's that's, he's all about it, man. Um, which makes me super happy as a dad. And so I cannot wait uh, to get him old enough to get a bow and, and get him out there and start shooting and hunting with me. Um, I just can't wait. Uh, but Clay, what's that one story, man, that you have that uh, you know really just just resonates and and will hopefully inspire somebody to to, to give it a shot shooting a recurve. Won't you go go with somebody else? Let me think about that for just a sec. Jim, you got one for us? Yes, I do. Um, great timing. I was just thinking about this, uh, and th- this wasn't that long ago. In, in 2018, I drew a uh, I, I drew a random tag on one of the really good Arizona elk units. Uh, I didn't have enough points to draw. Just put in for it, and uh, me and a buddy drew the tag. And, you know, here's what's great about hunting with a, with a recurve as opposed to maybe a compound where you can shoot a little farther. Um, I, I had another hunt going on, so I didn't get a start right off. But I got there on about the third day of the hunt and uh, hunted the first evening, had a couple of encounters. And uh, the next morning I, I got into a herd, you know, right at first light. I could hear them bugling. And, and you know, just as the sun's coming up, I have this big old 340, 335, 340 bull in front of me in a burn. And, uh, it, since it's such a great unit to have, I, I had decided, uh, I wasn't going to shoot anything smaller than 340. I, I needed to hold out and try to get the biggest bull out there. And here we go. First morning, here's this, this bull that's, he's close enough. He's right there. Big old black antlers from being there in the burn and heavy horned. And, and uh, I had him at 40 yards for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, I even come to full draw twice on him because uh, 40 is my max, but, but I'll take it if it's, if it's just right. But it wasn't just right. It wasn't just the, the perfect shot. And, you know, I, did, I didn't get that bull. He, he wandered over the hill, and I never spooked him, but I just I couldn't keep up with him and never got it. And, and that's the instance where, you know, if I'd have been shooting a compound with sights and a release, that, 
that 40 yard shot would have been a, a piece of cake. I'd have just put the pin on it and leveled it out and shot. And I'd have been done the, the second day, the first full morning, morning I had to hunt. Uh, but because I wasn't done, uh, I, I had encounter after encounter with herd bull after herd bull. And on about the third day, I, I thought, you know, I need to keep track of how many, how many herd bulls I'm getting close to. And, and, and I decided I'm going to count anything I got to under 50 yards. I'm going to count that as a close encounter. And, uh, by day 10, I had been within 50 yards of over 50 herd bulls during this hunt, which is just unbelievable. I, I can't imagine, uh, being able to experience that. And then, you know, I got down to the last couple of days and I thought, you know what, Jim, it's, it's kind of, kind of getting to the end here. And, you know, you really like to eat elk and, you know, maybe that 340 isn't really, um, doable. And, uh, I finally decided, you know what, the, the next six point herd bull I come up on, if he's not just, you know, tore up and busted up, I'm going to shoot him. And, and, uh, you know, then that morning I, I got an 18 yard shot at a nice six point that was a little over 300 inches and, and, uh, you know, watched him fall over 20 yards away and it's like, holy smoke, this was fun. But, but I could have ended that hunt that first morning and I never would have got to experience those other 49 encounters, which was just incredible. Um, I, I really I thought you were going to, I really thought you were going to go with the Buffalo, man. Well, I could do that next. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome hunt. And, uh, you know, we will, we'll loop back to that here in a minute. Clay, did you think of one? Yeah. Yeah. I thought of one. Um, but that, that was a great story. Um, and that's, you know, Jim, what Jim was talking about. That's a lot of, that's a lot of what I was talking about earlier. I mean, you just, you have so many opportunities to just to be out there hunting, you know, and experience those, those things. Um, but I think the, the, one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had, uh, when bow hunting, and this was, uh, when I when I first moved out west, I lived in uh, southeast Idaho, not far from uh, Idaho Falls, and there can be some great hunting, great elk hunting around there. Um, but I was fresh into you know into western hunting. I didn't know anything. I mean, I had I was hunting in cotton clothes, had cheap boots. I mean, just didn't know anything about the west. Didn't know how to read thermals or anything. I mean, I came from Florida, and so you know, it took, uh, it took me a number of years to kill an elk. Um, and it was after I left Southern, uh, Southern Idaho before I killed one. Um, but I had so many encounters down there that if I knew what I knew, if, if I knew then what I know now about elk hunting, I could have killed an elk every year. But, um, this one particular day I was, I was hunting in an area and I was up on top of a ridge and saw a herd of elk probably, I don't know, a mile away and this was getting towards dark and so the next morning got up super early got up to that ridge dropped over the other side and got down on the edge of this meadow where i had seen them the evening before i figured they'd be out there feeding all night long and turns out i got in just behind them i found where they came out the meadow um went through a wallow and just started up the hill and I was, uh, you know, the thermals were still coming down at that time. So I could smell them. I mean, I could, uh, there was still fresh mud on the, on the vegetation and I tracked them up this hill and got about, I don't know, it was about 11 o'clock or so still hadn't seen them. And so I pulled out or I took off my pack, pulled out my, uh, my lunch. I was just about to take a bite of my sandwich 
and this bull bugled from right across the knoll and he was he wasn't 60 70 yards away and so i took my boots off and slipped up over this knoll and there was this i don't know what he would have measured he was 300 or, or more and probably a dozen cows and he was rutting hard chasing those cows around bugling making all kinds of noises that i'd never heard before and uh but i didn't have enough cover you know i didn't have enough cover to get over there to them and i didn't at that time i didn't know anything about calling i mean i was hunting them like i was still hunting just like i'd hunt whitetails from the ground and uh so i was sitting on this little knoll trying to figure out what to do when a cow broke out of the herd she came right up the hill and when she got up the hill she turned and walked right to me and it was she she was walking she was making a beeline to me and she stopped about eight feet from me and i was kneeling down on the ground and she was standing there over the top of me looking down at me and for some reason she didn't she wheeled and ran off but she didn't spook she didn't bark she didn't know what i was you know she didn't smell me well when she did that that bull saw that she was up there and away from the herd so he comes running up the hill bugling and pissing all over himself and he stops about eight yards from me just on the other side of this big old gnarly dead fir tree and lets out this bugle that shook the ground and i never i did not get a shot at that bull he uh he stopped right there turned around and walked directly away from me so that i, I never had a clear shot at him but just being there in that situation being that close to those elk hearing those sounds that I'd never heard before. I mean, that's, that's a day that I'll remember for the rest of my life, even though, and I, I think it'll, it'll always go down as one of the best hunts I've ever been on, even though I didn't get a shot at that animal. I mean, just, it was amazing. And that, that right there sums it all up, man. Uh, you know, being, a starting out as a compound hunter, these, these non hunters or rifle hunters, didn't understand wait you had a deer at 40 yards and you couldn't shoot it well i mean and now switching to a recurve you tell these stories and you and you're talking to compound guys and they're like wait you had a deer within 30 yards you had a deer within 20 yards and you couldn't shoot it and you're like well i'm i no, i couldn't i didn't get a shot and uh but that's what it's absolutely all about is is those experiences and and you've you know you've touched on it several times this this podcast and that's just that's that's what it's all about and that's what it should be all about uh, to wrap this up, um, what would be the one piece of advice, just the one tip you would give somebody uh, who's who's getting their start in shooting a a trad bow? I'll I'll start with that. Um, I, I I think the most important thing you need to do to begin with is is learn how it feels, and you need to uh, decide where you want to anchor, and you need to pull back and draw an anchor and hit that spot over and over again until it just it just feels normal and you don't necessarily have to worry about what you're hitting or, or what you're aiming at one of the first things you need to do is is work on your form and work on the feel and and you know you you may even settle into something that doesn't look like what everybody else does but if it feels good to you and you can pull back and hit that same spot every time and it feels right i think that's really important for you to to do starting out I think those are those are great points. Um, I guess what I would say is have fun. I mean, 
when I'm sure Aaron, Aaron can uh, confirm this, but when you're first starting out, you know, it's, it's, and even when you're not first starting out, it can be frustrating. Um, so just, just remember to have fun shooting a recurve bow, shooting a long bow. It is a, it's an absolute blast. It's addictive. And, uh, you know, just grab you some arrows, go out there and, and stump shoot and, uh, and have fun. Aaron, what do you got for us? Um, I, you know, I'd say above and beyond those points, which, um, it's kind of hard to do one. I would say the, the, as Jim had mentioned, proper bow fit and getting comfortable, have fun, but, um, you know, have the right mindset when you go out. Um, especially when you're coming from a compound, uh, kind of like along lines, what Clay said, don't, don't look at, uh, you know, obviously playing basketball, whatever you want to put the ball in the hole, you want to put an animal on the ground, but maybe not focus on that as much learning along the way, becoming better along the way, becoming more fit, uh, better animal behavior, um, you know, while you're out there. So may, like Clay had said, had fun, but learn along the way, may, make it. So your, your second trip is better than your first. You've learned more your third you're you've learned more than your second. So as you're kind of, you know, making the building blocks that you're becoming a better hunter and outdoorsman uh, along the way and uh, and having fun obviously it's it's better than working so even if you suck and you haven't killed anything chalk it up <laughs> hey it's better than you know swinging a hammer right i mean you're, you're out there having fun and learning about the outdoors fred what's that one tip you would you would give to the person who's just starting out with a recurve optimism and have fun don't let don't get worked up about it you know it's about having a good time and go out there and have a good time now before we go fred um i, I let jim cover pope and young uh before we go give me a a a plug for my friends over at nexus outdoors um and and blocker i know you're a big fan of blocker yeah you know good equipment just helps you stay out in the field longer is uh is the bottom line and if you're cold or uncomfortable you're not going to be out there hunting um so you know no matter what any of us are using it's got to be something that we believe in that we're comfortable with um so you know that's that that's that's paramount to me for anything I'm using, whether it's a bow, whether it's clothing, whether it's, you know, something to detect the wind, pretty much like all these guys, you know, we pick stuff that we believe in and try and stick with it. We think it makes us more successful in the field. And if you, if you believe in it, like Jim said earlier, you know, that, that, uh, that confidence is huge. So, you know, picking, picking stuff that you're confident in makes a huge difference. And I am a huge believer in in all of the brands at Nexus Outdoors. I I personally love Scentlock. Uh, I love Blocker. I love Oz by Scentlock. So go check out our friends over at Nexus Outdoors, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for coming on again uh, with these four guys. This is part of the most wisdom uh, I could ever gather on a podcast at one time. So I appreciate you guys uh, taking time out of your day to uh, to come on and, and talk traditional archery with us. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. Probably. Well, all right, guys. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. And again, if you missed any of the episodes in our traditional series, head back there, the last six episodes in our series, uh, so you can go back and check all of those out. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. <laughs>